0: If you're looking for success, it's in the details, small hinges, move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, beautiful human. And welcome to in the details. I'm your host, Karen Allen. Today, my guest is magician, comedian, and keynote speaker, Devin Henderson. And I know it sounds like we're about to have a really good time. You're right. We are. Devin is a phenomenal performer with nearly two decades of experience on stages all over the country. He even appeared on stage to audition for America's Got Talent. And he didn't make it through the audition, but he did learn how to deal with disappointment, which by the way, is something we all need to learn how to deal with because it's a part of life. And he's done this by striving for something greater. Devin creates an unforgettable experience for all of his audiences by combining magic, storytelling, satire, and audience participation. He is deeply committed to inspiring individuals and organizations to reach for their full potential by seeing beyond their current situations or potential limitations. Devin, thank you so much for being here.
1: My pleasure to be here, Karen. Thank you.
0: (laughs) All right. First question. It's probably the most important. Uh, What is the first magic trick that you learned?
1: Oh man, I love, I love this question. I love talking about this kind of thing. Cause it takes <laughs> me back to my childhood. You know what how, I mean? Wait, how was, old
0: were like, you when you started magic? That's better. Was,
1: well, okay. 11 years old when I truly began the journey. Right. Wow. But I remember when I was more like in second grade and my sister had one of her friends come over and spend the night, her name is Kelly and Kelly taught us like three tricks, how to make a penny disappear how to have someone pick a card, lose it and then find it. And then like one other trick. Right. So those were like the very first tricks I learned early on that were always kind of with me. And I was always intrigued by magic, you know, always watch David Copperfield on TV that that's going back far for some of our people David Copperfield, you know, I may as well be talking about Houdini because nowadays (laughs) people, you know, like everyone's familiar with David Blaine, Chris Angel, but I was into Copperfield. And then when I was 11, my sister was into the new kids on the block. Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: right now, you had no idea the conversation was going there. Right? It's like, wait, wait, oh, Luke, he's on the block. So she had like these VHS tapes, and there was this one where one of the members of the band—it was Joey McIntyre. You remember Joey? He's backstage, and he's doing this trick where he shows his hands empty, and he pulls his handkerchief out of nowhere. And I'm like, whoa, 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 rewind that. Let me watch that again. And we must have watched it like a hundred times, right? <laughs> And I finally came to the conclusion. I was like, it's a camera trick, right? This is on TV. They pause it. He puts a handkerchief in his hand and then he pulls the handkerchief out. Well, just like very soon after that, i was still 11 years old. A magician came to my school and did a school assembly, did a magic show and did that same trick in person. (laughs) Obviously, no. I can only imagine
0: that your mind is like blown. Oh,
1: I'm like, (laughs) whoa, he just did the Joey trick in person. Oh, man. So I was like, what? You know, so pause on that. But in that same show, he also got me onto the stage because you, and when you get involved in something, you know, you're in right. You're just yeah, like yeah, you right. get in. So I got to get up in front of the crowd. And the way that he chose me to get up there is he said, OK, I'm going to choose my next volunteer by whoever can make the ugliest face in the room. Right. And so, so everyone's doing that. I didn't even do anything. I just sat there like this and he's like, you know, I'm kidding. I have this face <laughs> that I do that I'll spare you from, but I, I have this ugly face and he was like, boom, right there, that kid. Right. <laughs> so I'm hyper, you know, I'm all hyped up on sugar. I get up there and he does this trick and, uh, Anyway, but I was still stuck on that handkerchief trick, right? So I start asking people, you know, I'm like, how, how did he do that? And I start looking in books and all I'm looking for is the handkerchief trick. I don't even really care about other tricks. I just want to know that one trick. I was fixated on this one thing. Well, that started my whole journey. And I know you didn't ask me, how did the journey begin? You asked me, what was the first trick that I learned? No, uh, I wanted, that's but, why
0: though, that's why. <laughs> but yeah, so so
1: then in this journey of learning that handkerchief trick, the first one that I really truly wanted to learn, I started learning all this other stuff, right? I start flipping pages. And I'm like, well, this is kind of cool too. Like this trick with this pencil or or this trick with this rope, right? And so now I'm starting to build this, kind of accidentally build all this knowledge of magic. And finally, like I stumble upon the handkerchief trick. There was a magic shop here in Kansas City uh, that, that you could like purchase that trick, right? So I finally got the trick that I wanted, but by that time, I knew like 20 tricks. I was basically already on my journey to magic, but that trick making the handkerchief disappear was truly the first one that I was after that that really got me hooked.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that. So then, uh, well, I, now I do have a follow-up. What has been the hardest trick that you've mastered? Yeah. I know we, I don't want a magician to give all of their secrets away either, but no, it's not about
1: giving secrets away, but I'm going to say the hardest one that I had to learn was something called the watch steal. Mm. right? So the watch steal is something that you would have seen like David Blaine do on TV. Mm-hmm.
0: I actually do remember it's, that it's,
1: trick. It, yeah. It's a, uh, it's sort of like this branch of magic called pickpocket entertainment where you're doing magic for people and in the process you're stealing valuables from them secretly without their knowledge just temporarily stealing right (laughs) so maybe they're holding a coin and you're like okay and and then you're taking their watch and then the the coin trick is over and you're like and by the way is this yours and they're like what you know and so when I saw that I was like oh to secretly take watches right (laughs) and so That was like I I didn't learn the watch steel trick until I was about 18 years old and started working on it through college (laughs) and practicing on friends and family. And, you know, and, and I started to perfect that. But that was the hardest one because it was like sort of this like you have to like incorporate like you have to already be good at magic. Like you have to convince them that something amazing is going to happen anyway you have to misdirect them to the point to where you can like, you know, handle their watch while this other thing is going on. And there's so many different types of watch clasps and everything that you have to really become an expert in knowing how to get each and every type of class. Off. In fact, I got to the point where I could just by looking at the face of the watch, I knew what with like 90% certainty, what was on the other side of it, right? Just, be, wow. just because of the make of it and the feel of it and the, you know, the, the brand of it. Like a Rolex has a certain class when you could tell if it's leather, it's going to be one of these like I didn't wear this. Mm-hmm. This, this works like a, a belt buckle type class. Right. Yeah. So so that was the hardest one just because it's so multifaceted uh, to be able to like accomplish that. right? And then also make it entertaining in the moment, you know, and make <laughs> it like and be able to do it on stage with confidence that you're going to get it. And and it's not a hundred percent certainty. There's sometimes where you get busted or the watch is too hard, so you have to be able to play it off. So that's another hard part of it. Of mm-hmm. what if it doesn't go as planned? Which is like, <laughs> didn't mean to do this, but a good parallel to life, right? Like if it didn't I was work just out, about well, to what? Say- yeah, I know you. were. I could see your brilliant mind working. Like, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna take this, guys journey and make some analogies out of it (laughs)
0: well literally literally as you're describing this i'm like this is a metaphor for life you're trying to do one thing right and then you're also trying to get to this other goal you have to figure out how to do it based on the thing that is presented to you and and also while you're trying to balance all these things you're trying to make it entertaining and have fun and like that is life
1: (laughs) well i will tell you yeah it's it's funny because there were so many as i was you know in my journey to speaking you know because i made this crossover from just being a magician to speaking and so there were these like what do i have from the world of magic that are good metaphors to the audience at large that can teach them about business about life right about mental strength and all this stuff and so there were many many different metaphors over the years and one of them with this i called I called it, do you have a pickpocket mentality? Right. When you're like trying to give someone this amazing experience in life, are you trying to secret underhandedly really get something out of them? Right. Mm. So, so the pickpocket thing was, it was good for entertainment, but it's also this like, huh, do we sort of have that mentality with, with people socially? Right. Like, are we just being nice because we're thinking, well, maybe like, they have something to offer us business-wise. And mm-hmm. and I, I think some of that is smart. One of my messages was schmooze them or lose them, like be nice to them or they're not going to want to work with you. So so for me, to, to make it even more, you know, give more depth to that, it really made me think, well, what is my purpose in life when I'm nice to people? You know, I had to do some real self-like digging with, uh, you you know, when I am showing kindness, when I'm doing business, how can I really keep my... Values intact, thinking like mm-hmm. I want to really be serving people and not yes. just trying to get. And, and that's a constant battle. <laughs> you Absolutely. know, what I mean? that's like a lifelong process of how am I truly giving? And especially when we speak for money, right? This is mm-hmm. our business. I mean, I want to communicate this value at the same time. I have to make a living. So that balance of really loving people, communicating value with well, I have to also you know provide for my family,
0: take care yes. of myself, and so well, it's, it's showing up it's authentically. Yeah. It's showing up, whether in work or relationships, new relationships, business ventures, all of that. You just want to be able to show up authentically. And so while Mm -hmm. we don't want to have that pickpocket mentality, but but we do want to know what the goal is. And, Mm -hmm. And I think, first of all, I also think that it's amazing just to back up a little bit that you recognize, okay, magic and comedy are talents I should take seriously. Mm, (laughs) Where mm -hmm. a lot of people may be like, oh, well, no, this is just, you know, second, or this is fun, or I get friends, or I get girls, or I get, you know, (laughs) it could be any kind, any of the things, right? But for you, I'm really curious, at what point did you realize, because you mentioned you went to college, I'm curious what your degree was, but when did Mm -hmm. you decide that you were going to, you know, intertwine the uh, love of magic and the gifts that you've been able to refine Along with your comedic flair, how did you decide that that was going to be a part of your career journey?
1: So I went to Kansas State University and I majored in lifespan human development, (laughs) which I don't even know what that means. Uh, But it's basically, it was basically like a psychology degree, right? And so then I was going to go on and get a master's in marriage and family therapy. And I was going to go back to Kansas State to do that but I graduated in the fall of 2003. So like I graduated in December and I decided, well, I won't start the master's program until the next fall, which means I had about eight months of what am I going to do? Right. So, so I decided I'm going to go back home. I'm going to keep working at this. I used to work at an afterschool daycare and they were awesome because they let me work whenever I was coming back home and uh, loved working with kids. And I was like, and during that time, I'm also going to like, try to get some gigs in restaurants doing magic right because through college it was always kind of this like this maybe in the back of my mind like could this be a profession you know and i would do certain gigs where people would pay me money I'm like, man, this is this is crazy. But is this really a lot? Like, is this sustainable for the rest of your life, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I want to have this degree to back up on. Like, if I do decide to ever just go with the entrepreneur thing, I want to have a degree and then even a master's degree, right? In in counseling, which I was passionate about, families and that kind of thing. So during that eight month break was a time where I was really in this journey of I was I got a couple gigs in restaurants right? And by the way, I had to walk into like 40 restaurants and ask to speak to the general managers with magic tricks and business cards at the ready, wearing (laughs) my tacky tie to ask them if they were interested in a magician coming in and entertaining the guests, (laughs) uh, you know, for a couple hours once a week uh, while during their busy time where, you know, people are waiting for their food. And so, I mean, it was like, talk about, you know, I know you're you're a person who talks about resilience. I mean, Mm -hmm. when you have the entrepreneurial fire in you, you're going to make it happen. Right. You're not just going to be like, I tried five restaurants. None of them said yes. I mean, we're talking like I had to go into 40. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was part of it where it was like, I got these gigs in these restaurants, which allowed me to get in front of people regularly, you know, um, at at their table side, put my business cards down. And they started like hiring me for little things like birthday parties, private parties. And it was like, I was starting to like make money and it started dawning on me. Like this could actually be a living and so as that eight months window started closing in and it was almost time to go get the master's degree i really started having second thoughts like i've got this momentum going with this entertainment thing like maybe this is what i'm supposed to do maybe i could just put the master's thing on hold and just see what happens with the magic thing
0: magic over masters i'm sure your parents were yeah. like what <laughs> 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 like,
1: you're gonna do magic charges so <laughs> So, so also what something else that really happened in the course of that eight, eight-month window was I there was this magician. He was like this Christian entertainer, missionary magician with Campus Crusade for Christ. His name was Andre Cole, who was like really good friends with David Copperfield. So again, we're kind of going back. And he was still performing on campuses at that time. And I heard that he used like um stage hands, like people. So there the, were also sort of like apprentices to him, right? And mm-hmm. I thought, whoa, I could be a, an apprentice to someone who's like an illusionist, like at the David Copperfield level. So um, myself and a couple of my friends um, traveled a few hours away to Nebraska to where he was performing at a college campus. And I I just wanted to see one of his shows to see would I even want to pursue him and reach out to him and say, hey, are you looking for people right now? And loved his show and thought it was awesome. But I was really paying attention to his stagehands, right? Cause he let those apprentice type people come out and do a couple of tricks during the show. And it kind of hit me that I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to work for someone else right now. Like if mm. I'm going to go do this, I'm going to do it on my own. Mm. And so that was again, kind of accelerated this, like maybe this will work, you know? So during the eight month window at the end of it, it became very apparent that I was supposed to go with this. Like I was so passionate about it. Things had picked up. I was also starting to do small corporate events And in my first year, I made about what a kindergartner teacher makes in their Mm -hmm. first year. And I was like, that's technically a living. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the Mm -hmm. second year, like that doubled and then it just grew. So then it was just like this. This is like an actual job that you can take seriously. So it was kind of over the course of that eight months where I was like, this can actually be a living.
0: I love that. I love it so much because this is how blessings start to flow. When you follow your energy, you know, Mm. people are always looking for a blueprint to life, but everybody's blueprint is so different. I mean, they are radically different. So I couldn't tell, I can't even tell my son what his blueprint for life will be. Right, I just try to give him skills and tools so that as he's navigating it and figuring it out on his own, that he can start to discern, okay, where is my energy being pulled? And when we pay attention to that and we start to cultivate that, and and this is the other thing very early on, you noticed some gifts because just because of your interest, I feel like that is a key indicator of what your gifts aren't just for your own entertainment or for your own pleasure, but also how they're going to serve the world. Right. But, but what happens is we limit our possibilities based on societal norms of whatever, you know, go to this school, get this kind of job. When really, if we look at how dynamic the world is, there are so many different ways that you can serve. And also when we serve, regardless of that path, it always comes back as blessings and provision and being just like, you know, taken care of. Right. So for you to notice, like I'm able to work a job that is fun for me, but it doesn't necessarily fit the confines of a nine to five. And I'm still making a living wage that is comparable to other people who are in the structure. It's like, I can see that light bulb going off and you saying, I think this is something I should pay attention to. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And that's when other people in your life start to take you seriously too, when you're like, Hey, Uh, This is happening. This is the level of success that I'm seeing, you know? And so, yeah, I I couldn't agree more on the blueprint thing because, you know, like I told you at some point in time, I kind of transitioned from magician to speaker. And so other people who are starting out and speaking come to me and say, Devin, how do I get started? And the only way I can truly answer that is to say, OK, stop time, rewind back to when you're 11 years old and start learning magic tricks.
0: Yeah, I know. right?
1: Okay, Now learn those magic tricks and then go to Kansas State University and like <laughs> question your life and, you know, and and then go work in a restaurant because because it was magic that led to me being in front of audiences that led mm-hmm. to my metaphors and everything. So for someone now who comes to me, I'm kind of like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean. You know, go to go to Lions Clubs meetings and ask if know, you know, tell your, know, you know, because I'm like, I don't even know where I would start mm-hmm. had I not had that entire journey behind me. I don't know. I mean, someone has that answer. Mm-hmm. I don't have it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think what also stalls us is that fact that we're looking for the right answer. Right. And and maybe in, in that because I was the same way, it was almost like I was trying to find somebody who could tell me the way, if you will. Mm-hmm. And. And it was along that journey that I realized that everybody's path is going to be so different that you can learn from it, but you're just going to adapt it to your circumstance. I mean, I'm thinking about uh, you talking about how you transitioned to a keynote speaker, but I mean, magic is like, it's one of those bright spots in this world that can help people to just reconnect to the moment that they're in the present moment that they're in and also the joy that is waiting for us. I, I actually, uh, my son and I are hooked on watching. I mean, you could have had a Netflix show. Maybe you still can because Justin Wilman magic. Yeah, for Humans, yeah. huh? I mean, my son and I are addicted to this. Like, we <laughs> watch it every single night and it's so, again, I'm looking at this and I literally said to my son, I don't want you to ever forget that you can do anything. You can even be a magician. Look at that. You could be a magician helping bring joy to so many people's lives. But that's where I just, I thank you for sharing that background because I hope it encourages people to really not limit themselves, which is I know what you, what you stand for.
1: Yeah, well, for sure. And you know, someone, someone told me along when I was trying to figure out what is my message if I'm, if I'm going to speak, right. And I, I, I know I have some message and and someone told me actually the person who convinced me I should become a speaker told me, think about everything from your past. I mean, now you've been traveling as a professional magician for over 10 years now. What are the stories? What are the lessons you've learned? You know, like I mentioned, like the pickpocket thing with the watch. So this is a good message for any entrepreneur, anybody who pursue, who are pursuing some kind of seemingly impossible goal. What are the things from your life that have taught you something? Like you don't have to fabricate you know, a message or a passion, like it's already in you. It's already the the lessons, the stories are already there. Anybody could be a keynote speaker. Anybody could be an entrepreneur. Everyone has like these stories, like, like, don't you ever listen to a speaker or comedian? You're like, these crazy things never happened to me. (laughs) I'm sure people watch your TED talk and go, well, okay, well, she's got this awesome story of, you know, resilience or people listen to a comedian. Like, that's the craziest thing. Well, no, comedians and speakers just pay attention. So they're more observant or they're reflective about what has happened yeah. that I could package in a way and deliver it to an audience that's either going to make them laugh, make them amazed or inspire them.
0: Yeah, so absolutely.
1: Reflect, dig for that, be more observant and take that and share it with people.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Well, speaking of, you know, reflecting on things that we do, the, the things that we've done well, things we haven't done well, right? So we, we have to share all of it. So I'm wondering, do you have any techniques that you practice that help you build your mental strength? I understand that mental strength is a core pillar in a lot of your messages. And for me, you know, as you just mentioned, the way that I teach mental strength is through, yes, some of the things that I've learned and acquired through reading and courses, but before I even honestly had the money to pay for any of that other stuff, I was teaching people based on the things that, I saw worked in my life. That's how I came up with my stop and shift method. I didn't even know what the words were going to be until I was like, Hey God, what's happening on the inside here? I don't really know what's going on. Can you give yeah. me the words? Cause I really think this can help other people. And that wasn't something that I read in a book. It was very, very personal to me. So is there anything from your personal toolbox that helps you to build your mental strength, whether you've learned it through those years of being on stage, or maybe you've learned it in other areas, like being a dad. How about that? Cause that's, that's where we definitely build our mental strength, isn't
1: it? <laughs> uh, oh, for sure. Parenting. It, it's kind of like that thing where people are like, you, they ask you a question. You're like, I don't know how to help you. Cause I know it works for me. But the nice thing about when you think about it deeply enough and talk to enough people, you start to realize, Oh, I, I'm starting to see a pattern here that I can share with other people that they can use. Right. And so there were several things that I, several ventures that I pursued in my life whether as a kid or whether, you know, in college that like I realized, oh, I've learned lessons from these. So there is this big lesson that I learned from my soccer juggling journey. So have you, are you familiar with the term soccer juggling at all? No, no. Nope. Okay. Okay. So soccer juggling is basically where you're imagine a soccer ball and you're just actually, I, I didn't do this, but I, I know the people <laughs> listening won't see this, but Karen, what I have is a soccer ball, right? And juggling is where you're just, you're keeping the ball going, right? You're keeping it bouncing as many times as you can. And the idea is to see how many bounces you can get before you drop the ball, right? And so so I I learned that whole concept of of juggling when I was seven years old at soccer camp, even before the magic journey started, right? And, and the first day I did it, I got four bounces. And it looks easy once you have it accomplished. When you're first doing it, you can hardly get two, right? But I got four and I was hooked. So I kept at it like a month later I was up to 15 kicks, a year into it, 50, three years into it, 250, right? And so it was just became this like, what else is possible? How high can you go? Mm-hmm. And so I set a seemingly impossible goal to get 1000, right? Like this, like, <laughs> it'd be mind blowing if vague, I could do that. Go
0: home. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so exactly.
1: So, so I went to my dad, you know, and my dad, I mean, growing up, he was my champion. He was my cheerleader. My dad was a Marine right? Mm. Hoorah. Okay. So yeah. this man's like, we, we, you can do any. So, and you know, once a Marine, always an uptight father. That's the joke. I like. <laughs> yeah, he loved that joke too. But, but I, I asked him, I was like, do you think I can get a thousand? I mean, we're, we're, this is, you asked about mental strength, right? What are the tools I used to be mentally strong? You know, you go to people important in your life and you, you want their belief in you, you know, you know that they're cheering you on. And he said, David, I think you can do anything you put your mind to except that <laughs> I, <laughs> Listen, I love you. I want the best for you, but I, I just want, I want you to know the truth. That's probably not humanly possible. Right. Well, that for me, you know, for people who were like, I'm going to do this, I kept going. Right. And when, it wasn't until I was 15 years old that I finally, I got 1,259. Right. I went over a thousand. It was like, yeah. And then long story short, this, I kept going, kept going. When A few years ago, I just hit a number beyond anything I imagined I could or would get to. It was over eleven thousand. It was eleven thousand two hundred and forty-one. So that's, yeah, I know, I know. So it's eleven thousand two hundred and forty-one consecutive kicks without ever dropping the ball, and that was over a two-hour period.
0: I was going to ask. that. So you. You are yeah. you a mind reader too? Because you-, <laughs> you. Yeah, I answered all your questions brain. in one. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: those were all. I used to share this story a lot. Well, I st- actually still share it in my keynote, and those were the common questions. How did you count? How long was it? Are you in the Guinness Book of World Records? So I always address all the, you know, <laughs> I'm ready for those. Yeah. But, but yes, I am a mind reader. That's the answer to that question. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. That too. yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, you know, so through this, I, I realize that everyone doesn't have the patience to juggle a soccer ball. And that's not my message. Like, Hey, everybody go get a ball and see what you can do, you know, but we all have our soccer juggling, like that thing that we're just like, we don't want to give up on that someone along the way, even people who love us, believe in us might say, Hey, it's probably not going to happen. Or or that's our own voice being like, okay, you're wasting your time. Ain't ever going to happen. What are you doing? You know? But one thing I realized is like, let's say you never do hit that goal. Think about other things you learn along the journey. Right. It's not a waste of time. Like you're getting exercise with this, right? I mean, that's just one benefit from juggling the softball. even if you don't get there. You're instilling like work ethic that your children can watch. Like, dad is really trying after this thing. I mean, so, but but what I can really pass on to people from this journey was something that just came to me one day um, that can help you get unstuck. It can help you be resilient. It can help you keep going no matter what, even when you feel like giving up. And people are just like, ain't never going to happen. And and this is what it is. It's start ugly, start small and pick up the ball.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. So start ugly right now. I don't want that. That doesn't mean be sloppy, right? Like get out there and be careless. Like ugly really just means realize that you're imperfect and anything you start with, you're not going to nail it right away.
0: Right. Yeah, it's yeah. going to
1: take time. You have to try. You have to learn. Your ultimate success isn't about being able to do things immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. It's about sticking with it and, and trusting the process, you know, and, and I mean, honestly, that whole start ugly thing has applied to magic for me. It's applied to fathering. It's applied to speaking. It's applied to um, piano. I remember, like, I've played piano since I was five. That was another thing I thought I was going to do, right? I have all these hobbies and skills, and I was like, something's going to land, right? <laughs> uh, and so, with the piano thing, I was—I remember one time I was like trying to do this little like jazzy thing, and I was like, eh, you know, and, I, and my sister, who's like one of my best friend, best friends in this whole world, and totally supportive of me, was like brushing her teeth in the bathroom and leaned down, and she goes, "I know what you're trying to do," kind of like. <sighs> You're not, you know, you're trying to do that little thing. Don't try that, you know, <laughs> and, and, and and she didn't mean anything bad by it, But what I, I meant, she realized was like, don't be doing that because that's mm-hmm. ugly, right? Mm-hmm. Like just do the thing you can do. But I thought sometimes we just have to get ugly with it yeah. until it starts to like make sense and take shape. And, and so I think sometimes we do just have to like, let's just get out there and be ugly. You know, version yeah. 1.0, whether you're writing a book whether' you're, you know whether you're running a marathon you know it's not all going to happen at one time just start ugly right which is the same same true for the for the start small right because mm-hmm. if you start small guess what you can end big yeah the whole idea so and then and then pick up the ball just means don't quit I mean you I, I I thrive on failure like I I know you know people like yourself are the same way it's like hey bring on the challenge and if if I drop the ball guess what I'm just going to pick it up again. Right. Mm. And and that's what's so great about when I speak in front of audiences. I mean, they're teams of people. Uh, it doesn't matter what what kind of industry. I mean, from education to healthcare, you know, to insurance, like these people are like have to pick up the ball together. And sometimes that ball is very heavy. Right. And sometimes mm. it takes a team to really pick it up and pass it around and and keep it going. But yeah. picking up the ball is the thing that I probably share most uh, of this with people. It's like, don't give up. Keep going. It's going to drop like failure is inevitable. Like you have to embrace the fact that you're the ball is going to drop. Right. Even with even with risk averse cultures and companies, it's like it's eventually going to happen. So be ready to pick it up and encourage other people to do the same
0: absolutely i just said this to a group of girls i do mental performance training for some aau teams in the area and i was working with the girls last night and i can see you know the reason i wanted to start working with a younger group is because as adults we struggle with this because we weren't given the tools to build our mental strength as kids again, we started to create this idea of what perfection could be or what's good or what's bad. And and then whenever we fall short or other people say that we fall short, then we feel that immediately. Mm. Um, And so what I recognized though, in my own journey was my, my ability to normalize failure and mistakes, because I mean, I've said this in Many of my episodes. So the entire world knows that I'm a recovering perfectionist. Like, I very much, I'm like, no, we have to do it right. We have to do it this way. And more so because I want to decrease any risk of pain or, you know, any wasted energy on having to do it again. So my image, my, my, story around getting things done right the first time was really because I thought that I would be eliminating any stress or additional work on the back end. But when I recognized that that was such an unattainable goal in life, and it was actually wasting so much energy trying to do it perfectly the first time instead of letting it be ugly and starting small and just getting in the game. Right. And so when I was talking to the girls last night and I saw exactly what I have felt and I've dealt with, even as an athlete, you miss a shot, you miss a pass, you do something immediately, the shoulders hunch over your head hangs low. You're not even ready for the next play. Right. So I pop on the court and I said, this is what we're doing moving forward. We are going to accept that failure is part of the process. It's not a bad thing. It is, it has to happen for us to get better for you to grow. And that's what I'm hearing you say right here. It's like, even when the ball drops, you did you did four and then you did 10 and Mm -hmm. then you did 20. So it may have dropped on the 21st time, but you're already better than you were a few months ago when you could only get four. And that right there is the, the journey part that where we can appreciate the journey, we can actually enjoy it. We can experience it more fully and not just be so attached to the end goal or outcome that we're hoping to, you know, create. I mean, it's, I love that you have been able to bring this over. Like, again, so many of these small experiences, it's very easy for us to be like, oh, that happened. Or maybe this is a funny story, but the way that you're able to reflect and and reshape it in a way that really connects to people. I mean, even to me, I'm like, I'm not a soccer person. My son played, but I feel what you're saying. Like, yes, It connects with people on so many different levels. I mean, you are absolutely living into your gift.
1: Love that. Love that. I might
0: have a tough question for you though. <laughs> Bring it
1: on. Let's do it.
0: Now, if I heard this correctly, when you were on, uh, America's got talent, it was because they approached you. You didn't put yourself out there. They came to you, which I'm, I can only imagine felt like a huge honor right if a talent scouts you and they say hey you're good enough to come audition that feels like yes i'm getting recognized for all this hard work that i'm putting in but you also mentioned that you didn't get past the audition round and i just love to talk a little bit about that experience because it is something that is very it's uh, something that you talk about in your content on how to deal with disappointment and that's something like failure where it's like, we have to learn to normalize it. But I'm wondering what your thought process was as you were bouncing back from that experience with AGT.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, So to kind of set it up a little bit. Yeah. uh, You're, you're absolutely right. They approached me, they emailed me and I thought, this is a joke a friend's do- like <laughs> America's Got Talent did not just say hey Devin we found you on YouTube we love your stuff you know you don't have to worry about the local audition you're going to come to Hollywood right for Howie Howard Heidi and Melby like you're coming straight to the big state we-, we know you're ready we can tell from your content that you're like you're you're built for the state and it's just it was just like whoa what <laughs> you know I, this is insane, you know. And they they had specific tricks they had seen they wanted me to do that I was like, well, that's maybe not what I would have chosen. But who am I gonna who am I to tell America's Got Talent what I should do, right? So they fly me out there. I mean, and it's just like I'm built for this. I'm ready to crush it. I get out there. It actually went really well. Like you know, it was just like I did it, one of my most difficult tricks that has a lot of unpredictable elements. But if it goes right, it has a high payoff, and I'm talking like nailed it, crushed it, felt like boom, this is awesome, and then only got one yes out of the four, and it was you know it was kind of like this, you know Howard's like we we I love it, that was amazing what you did, I'm just not sure it plays this big of a crowd, right? And Mel B was like you know I was just expecting something more spectacular, and Heidi loved it, and then and then Howie Mandel was like I've seen other people do it, but I've seen him do it better, right? Like. Okay. And it was just like this bombshell, just like this. It felt like my world was collapsing, right? Even though I wasn't after that, when, when someone comes to you and then there's months of building up this, now I'm going to be famous, right? Now my my income's going to quadruple. Now now it's like when I walk through the grocery store, people and be like, it's, mom, it's the guy. Can I go get a selfie with that guy? You know what I mean? Like just this this prideful part of me was like, what's this going to do for me and, and my ego and all that? And before I talk about how I bounced back from the disappointment of it, you know, I, as I was still really dealing with this, because this was back in 2014, it's almost been 10 years. I told one of my friends, I was like, I feel like there's like this like from that experience, like there's a glass ceiling above me, like I can't quite, you know, break above that. And, and that's just, you know, I had, I had been speaking even for a few years then. And so there was still like this, what's, what's going to be the big thing for me speaking magic. And my friend said, you know, I kind of feel like maybe God has put that glass ceiling right there for now for you, because he doesn't want you to rise above because he knows your ego can't handle it. He knows it like, You know, if you do that, it's going to compromise your time with your family. There's some reason he goes. And at some point you might feel that that sort of that breakthrough. But for right now, you're right in your zone. You're right where you're supposed to be. This was meant for a reason. Right. Mm.
0: And I just want to pause there for a second. Yes. And and honor that takeaway, because so many of us have felt that where we feel stuck and we feel like, oh, we're, I'm putting in the work, I'm doing all the things I'm showing up. But, but why can't I get to what I'm imagining could be the big breakthrough? Yeah. And I love how you mentioned like, well, maybe there's a reason that you're still where you are. And that reason could be good for you. It's like, we, all, we oftentimes don't even consider that or make room for that, but man, that is so true. And that is real wisdom from a friend. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you.
1: Of, of course. You know, and then to even add to that, that sort of zone that you are in where you're seeing a buff, remembering that like, whoa, I'm actually at a really good place. Yeah. It's yes. not like I'm like, oh, this is, it's like, I'm, I'm getting to do what I love here. I mean, yes. I still get to perform magic in my keynotes. I'm traveling the country. I'm in front of these amazing organizations, adding value, getting feedback. Like we feel like we can conquer any challenge. We're working together better as a team. People are encouraging each other with your sound bites, like pick up the ball. And it's just like, Wow. Uh, you're like people I may not like be wanting way- to
0: take that selfie in the grocery store, but their lives are being impacted way beyond what you'll ever know, right?
1: Absolutely. And so once you get outside of yourself and say, whoa, it's it's not about me, it's about who I can serve, you know, and then realizing like maybe this is the zone I'm going to be in forever. And this is, this is perfect. This is right where I'm meant to be. So, so I'm not trying to say I'm in a bad place, but, but remembering to reflect, look how far you've come, yes. right? Some of us forget about, well, look, don't forget about everything you've conquered up to this point, you know? Yes. yes. So then when I, when I experienced that failure, you know, it was like, they didn't air the segment on TV and they didn't even put it on YouTube. Right. So when people are like, well, I can't find you on YouTube. I'm like, yeah, I know. Neither can I. I wish they would have at least put it on there. So I could have put that as a credit, like, Hey, I've done this and look, it was a good performance. And for some reason, it just wasn't what the judges were looking for. It fell flat that day. Well, I went home devastated, honestly, wanting to just quit magic. Yeah. Because there was this like, and everyone can relate. It's like, have you ever brought your absolute best to a situation? Then you got the exact opposite response of what you were hoping for. Right. Or have you ever poured countless hours or years into something and then you were just totally, massively disappointed? Or have you ever just wanted to quit? And I've never met anyone who's like, no, 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 none of that. I'm like, yeah, we all can relate. We just want to quit and give up. So in that moment, there's this mantra that I have in my life. There's this question that I constantly ask, which is what else is possible? You know, I I did it with the soccer journey. What else is possible? I did it with the magic. You know, I learned the handkerchief trick. What else is possible? The piano. I mean, it was just became this theme in my life for pursuing greater possibilities. And so in that moment, I knew I needed to ask what else is possible. But you know what? I couldn't because I was in too much pain. I mean, I was used to asking what are the greater possibilities? How can I pick up the ball from here and move on? But this was like this new level of disappointment that I had never experienced before in a way that made me just want to quit, shut down, give up to the point where the kids were like, Mom, what's wrong with Dad? Because every once in a while, I'd just be moping around like, I don't even want to work. I don't don't care about anything, you know. So the question is, how did I keep going? Because, you know, obviously I'm still uh, in front of audiences. I'm performing, speaking. How did I keep going? This was the big the big thing for me. And it's, it's something that I call the AGT perspective.
0: Well, I'm glad okay. I asked this question because I was like, I don't want this to be like too hard for him to talk about, but man, I think people could learn from it. So yeah, give it to yeah, us. Definitely. Yeah,
1: no, the AG, no, it's, I'm, at first I didn't, I tried to hide the whole experience from everyone, right? But pe- people say when you're going to share a story, especially to an audience, you know, what's that thing about? share your scars, not your wounds. Like if it's too fresh and you're going to be breaking down, it's not really something you want to show. And and so, and I know this from you and your experience, you know exactly what I mean, that it's like, okay, we're sharing our scars. And so uh, no, this is something I'm very happy to share because of how inspiring it is to people and how it gives them hope. So the AGT perspective, right? AGT as in America's Got Talent But those, see, those words started to cause me pain and anything associated with it. So I knew I needed to redefine what those letters AGT meant so I could see new possibilities again. And so now AGT stands for always give thanks.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, I love that! I literally just got truth bumps. I just, that's what I call them. Truth. Bumps I like that. Like, oh uh, yeah.
1: man! I mean, but and here's the thing: it's crazy simple. You know what I mean? It, but it's insanely powerful, right? Yeah. Because but it's not always the easiest for us to apply in our hardest moments. I mean, this is a reminder to people. Like I was saying, always give things. Always give things, mm-hmm. uh, because no matter what's happening around us, there's always something we can look back and be like what in my life is working right now? What else do I have to be thankful for? What in my life right now is priceless?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm, I love that. I love that. Jenny Blake uh, wrote a couple of books, but free time was one where I saw this quote. And she said, even if your business hits a plateau, if it is still serving your entire life, feel okay with that. Like, we have again this expectation. We always need to go higher. We need to go faster. We need to do more. But, like, what if this is really great? Can you savor that? Can you enjoy it? Can you make the most of it? And that really feels like it is in line with exactly what you're saying is like, don't lose that perspective of all the good that's in this world, especially in this chaotic world that we live in. Right. I remember struggling with being a positive light and sharing good. And especially because when we do internalize the weight of this world and all the different headlines that we see and losses that are occurring and natural disasters that are happening, all that stuff, it really does create this darkness in our our spirit. And as I was talking to a therapist I was working with at the time, he goes, "Uh, but Karen, we need that light. Like we, we actually need, so it's okay for you to step fully into that. And Mm -hmm. when, when I worked through that, and as I was reflecting on that, I realized that that was also what helped me to come out of a very dark space was I didn't feel like I had anything to be grateful for. So I would practice gratitude on the most basic level. Like I was Uh just like, thanks for clean (laughs) sheets. I don't know. Like, you know. (laughs) But, but right. just by having that small, even though it feels small and, and even insignificant, I go as far to say is, but it really did help to redirect that energy. So I didn't stay stuck in the darkness and stay stuck in the yes. misery and say, yes. you know, so it's like, I appreciate that AGT perspective because however you apply it to life and whatever scenario someone is in, in, it's a lifeline is my point.
1: Uh, I love that. And you know, for for companies and cultures, I mean, from from people, you know, work on the assembly assembly lines, everyone in between to the C-suite, you know, executive people, it's like that that gratitude thing, it's so simple. And leadership and teamwork, sometimes we forget how simple it can be. Like we forget the most simple concepts that already work that have worked for yep. thousands of years, which is like, yes, show appreciation to each other. Show gratitude. I mean, you want to attract and retain better talent, show appreciation. You know, just say thank you. And you know, my daughter works for Chick-fil-A and every once in a while they, they write her a letter and they will give her a cash bonus and be like, thank you for just being so awesome. And she's like, the cash is fine, but it's the gratitude. It's the appreciation they're showing me that wants me to show up to work the next day, 110%. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, so this gratitude thing, you know, it's when you're in it, like you were saying, it does something magical. It does something transformational mm-hmm. and, can I tell you a story about something that happened a few years ago? How this, love really sunk, yes. you know, this this sunk in big time, right? So I was actually in Las Vegas to deliver a keynote and I was just walking down the Vegas strip and I happened to pass the hotel where Matt Franco performs. Now, Matt Franco is a magician. Mm -hmm. winner of America's Got Talent season nine, which is my season, right? Matt Franco and I auditioned a few people apart. We hung out backstage. We kind of did the magic jam hangout thing. I got voted off right away. He went all the way, Mm -hmm. won the million dollars, landed the headlining show in Vegas. So here I am like three years after the fact, right? Summer of 2017, I'm staring at the hotel featuring his name. And I'm thinking like, I felt like I was so close. Like, like mm-hmm. that could be my name right now. Right. And all that pain just shot right back to me. Mm-hmm. It was just like, Oh, then now this is true for me. Maybe you can relate when I'm traveling. I'm always thinking about like, I'm sure you're thinking about your son, but you're just like, yes. I want to get back to my son and hang out with my son. That's what I'm, I wanted to get back to my family. Mm-hmm. So I'm always in sort of this special place of like gratitude and reflectiveness. And I think because I was there in that moment, like God had me in that place on that sidewalk for a certain moment, a new realization hit me that had never hit me, just like blindsided me. And it was the realization of the perfection of everything that had happened. And in a nutshell, it was this, had things not gone the way they had, we wouldn't have our last three kids. Now explain what I mean by that. Okay. This all came to me in a very surreal, very fast way. Uh, When I auditioned for AGT, we had four kids. So we didn't have our youngest three yet. And, you know, as well as I do, like, if you were to go back and change things in the past, it's going to change the outcomes in the future, right? Like, had I been here or that happened, then, like, I might live somewhere else. My decisions might be um, altered or, like, um, my timing might be different. Mm -hmm. And I had this weird biological, you know, thing of the conception of life. I was like, had things not gone exactly the way they had, we wouldn't have our three youngest treasures, their names are eva emmy and haven who by the way mean more to me than winning any competition ever Mm. could
0: Mm. wow i love that i love that funny story i think my parents will appreciate me they won't mind me sharing i'll say i don't know about appreciate but it's 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 in line with that my mom had this idea years ago that uh they were living in texas and she said we should bottle water be and my dad was like that's the stupidest idea ever (laughs) he's a very nice guy but but his point was his point was i'm sure it wasn't his exact words but he was like why would people pay for water when you can get it for free Mm. so this was back in the 80s well now my mom is like we would have been on a yacht and i love to remind them but you wouldn't have had me
1: (laughs) right?
0: <laughs> and it is that true. Is, it that is, is the is exact,
1: true. I mean, isn't that crazy how that's yeah. true? I mean, it's funny, you just, you could think of a story like that and yeah. all I think about, man, I, you know, had things been different, I wouldn't be where I am yeah. right now, you know? And, and yeah, there's like, maybe you would have missed some of the bad things too, but I really believe everything happens for a reason, yeah. even the bad things. And like, there's just this plan for our life. Right. And we're just kind of on this ride on this journey. And we can either kind of like embrace the ride and the journey or or choose to ignore it. You know, I yeah. love one of I was listening to your TED talk. One of the things I took away is pain is inevitable, mm-hmm. suffering is optional. Yeah. That's pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. I mean, so it's like pain, it's it's going to happen, but we could decide where we're going to go and we can all look back and think about man, had these things not happened, I wouldn't be here. So just being thankful for all of that stuff, it absolutely it, it makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, and to add to that, it's not just the thing, but it's your response to the thing that actually (laughs) creates the reason. So Mm. when I think about your story, and you said, you know, of course you were really down. Surely you were in and out of like moments of depression. Of course you were questioning your career, what you, and if you had stayed in that space of misery, then you may not have even cultivated the love between you and your wife, where you all have decided to continue your family. Yeah, because you were able to pull yourself out of that, you, you know, found your, your happy place again in a healthy space Mm -hmm. and you started to embrace life and not just let this one thing then become detrimental or poison the rest of, of, you know, your family existence, because you were able to then bounce back from that, right? That's that resilience piece. And you were able to continue to find the joys in the world around you. The love continued to flourish through your family. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't just that thing, but it was your response to that thing that I believe is what really helped to, to continue that legacy. So gosh, Devin.
1: Yes. Sometimes it blind, just one quick thing. Sometimes it blindsides us like the meaning, but then sometimes we never know why something bad may have happened. So that's where it just takes faith to be like, okay, there was a reason for it. I may not know in this life, but I'm still going to be thankful for that circumstance because I knew it it grew me in some way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I am so grateful that we spent some time here today. I know that this conversation is going to be a massive blessing to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for sharing your magic, pun intended. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find and connect with you?
1: Yeah, they can just go to DevinHenderson.com.
0: Excellent. Well, we will make sure that all of your contact information is in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for living into your gifts. You are a true light in this world, Devin.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been a blessing.
0: This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcast.